Welcome to the One Signal Podcast, where we aim to educate ourselves on product, industry, and best practices as it relates to building and growing a customer messaging practice. This is your host, Josh Wetzel. I'm excited to have One Signal CTO, Joe Wilm, as our guest to discuss our various technical scale decisions, our utilization of Rust, and exploration of new technologies such as Kubernetes to continue to enable exponential growth in usage and data storage for a digital service that now serves 5 billion plus daily message to more than 1 billion unique devices weekly. Welcome, Joe. Thanks for having me. So we've worked together for 15 months now. I've uh, been very impressed from the day I met you, actually really even in the interview process with uh, sort of the confidence and sheer performance and reliability of OneSignal architecture. I'm curious, how did you end up here? It was really just by chance. One of my good friends, Colin Green, who actually works here now, was using the product back in, in 2015 when it was still called GameThrive. And he he knew I was starting to look for a new position, sort of just really considering it and introduced me to George. And, you know, I, I had a bunch of concerns coming out of my last startup about just is this a company that actually cares about good engineering? Is it a, a company that's you know has ambitions to really have customers and support them well, um, which was sorely lacking at my pre- previous role? Yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, so I, I got introduced to George, our CEO, and you know things really just got moving from there. Saw a lot of potential with working with George and the opportunity to come like build really solid systems, which is what I was excited about at the time, and. Here we are. And you have a background, you were at Lockheed Martin early in your career? I was for a couple of years right after college. How different is that environment compared to this environment, especially as, as you're starting to scale and early on at OneSignal? Well, I think I had a, a fairly unique experience at Lockheed Martin. I was working in their R&D, one of the R&D groups in, in Palo Alto and had a lot of leeway to work on various projects. It was a lot of full stack development actually, but also a lot of embedded systems and, and reverse engineering of various pieces of hardware so we could attach them to the network and that sort of thing. But it was a very small team. There wasn't really a, it, it was R&D, it was very much R&D. There wasn't like a production environment to run or anything like that. We didn't have customers yet. It was very research oriented. So a uh, very different environment, but both have been very exciting in their own ways. One signal in particular is exciting because we have customers and because we have so many of them and because we want to serve such a high quality product and have a reliable system. Yeah, that's a good segue. So approximately three years ago, we announced One Push, which is the delivery system for notifications, which we wrote in Rust. What was the decision behind Rust and, and kind of One Push in, in general? So to understand uh, the decisions for One Push, we need to look at the previous delivery system, which was written in Ruby. It was a capable system, but due to sort of the constraints of running in Ruby, it had some very hard limitations. Well, the initial limitation is just that the Ruby VM is a single process. So like you can have threads, but due to the interpreter lock, you can't have true parallelism. So your options for scaling at that point are basically running more and more copies of this thing. And and with Ruby and Back in 2016, when we were looking at this thing, we were sending 10 to 20 million messages a day, and a single process was capped out. And we're looking at how we're going to grow and just like what the server costs are going to be behind this. And it's like, well, this isn't going to be sustainable. <laughs> we're going to just you know burn money if we run this. So that kind of left us with a couple of options. We knew we wanted some sort of compiled language, like these scripting environments just have such a performance hit. So at the time, the two real options for us were Go and, and Rust. 
Java wasn't a great option for us due to various reasons, and, and C++ is just really hard to get right when it comes to concurrency and various other things. But yeah, so we actually talk about this a little bit in our Rust at One Signal blog post, which I, I think we can link in the show notes. That's right, we and, will. But it basically came down to with Rust, we were going to be able to write a system we could almost know at compile time was going to behave exactly how it should before we ever deployed it to production. And that's largely been the case since rolling it out. And, and this is mostly thanks to Rust's robust error handling story. So it makes it easy to write correct code and it makes it impossible to have race conditions or data races rather, which, you know, if you're trying to do this in like C or even Go, which is another modern language for parallel programming. So we've gone from at the time of this announcement and roughly the time of deployment, we were at 2 billion messages a week. Today, that's 35 billion. So that's grown 16x. We had spikes. Uh, we were about 125,000 messages a second, but we had spikes at 175 a second. And recently saw a spike of 1.75 million. So uh, a little bit more per second. Yeah. Per second, yeah. Uh, that's 10x. So, you know, how has the original code held up with that astronomical growth? Well, it's been pretty phenomenal. Today we're we're running only four processes of, of the delivery system, just one per server, and we have plenty of capacity to spare for that part of the system at least. The challenges we run into with scaling actually are not the delivery system, it's all of the other systems that it's connected to. So talking to Redis and, and Postgres and, and Kafka even. <laughs> It's all the storage and all the computation around segmentation and, and whatnot. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So now that we're three years in, it sounds like you, uh, you basically answered this, but you feel that it was a good decision. Do you think it's going to take us to the, the next 10x growth? Oh, certainly. So the one push was made to be sort of pluggable with all of these external data sources and syncs. So where notification deliveries are coming from, where the results are being sent to, those are all sort of plugins to the application. So the core of it, which we know to perform very, very well and scale very well, is sort of forever for us. Whereas, you know, how we're getting notifications into the system, that's something that we can create a new adapter for and basically whatever sort of message queue or other software we want to put to bring notifications in, like, you know, we're sort of future proof there. Had did you come into OneSignal with Rust experience? Uh, so I came into OneSignal with some Rust experience. My biggest project at the time was a library for writing chatbots called Chatbot. And uh, I don't think it's used too much anymore. It hasn't really been maintained, but there's been a few people. And so that's sort of the extent of the experience beforehand. But about uh, <laughs> just a month into to starting this job, in addition to working on, on one push, the delivery system, I also started a side project writing a terminal emulator called Alacrity. And that has become quite popular, actually. And is that built in Rust? Yes, that's built in Rust. Okay, yeah, I've I've heard of it. It's obviously popular around here. People <laughs> talk about it, and that led you to becoming kind of more of a, a community leader within Rust. Is I don't. That, is that fair to characterize? I don't think I, I would never call myself yeah. a, a community leader. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it has given me the opportunity to interact with a lot of folks in the Rust community, and it's actually helped us to hire some very excellent engineers as well. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I've seen that as a sort of objective third party here. 
Um, what, what do you think is the future for Rust? Like, is it become much more widespread adopted? Like, what's the kind of the evolution? So Rust is innovating at a, a pace really exceeding any other language at this point. <laughs> well, you know, Rust itself being written in Rust helps them write, you know, a, a Rust compiler that's going to work and you know be able to support new language features much more quickly and easily, I think, than say, you know, C trying to evolve or even Go trying to evolve, really. And the proof is in the pudding with this one. Like they they just launched async await, which is some language constructs for concurrent programming, really making that quite a bit easier. And that's going to really help to boost Rust's popularity in the server space. And we're already starting to adopt it here at OneSignal. But there's a lot of interesting projects coming out every day. And I think Rust is going to eventually come to be the default for all new sort of compiled programs where performance matters. Whereas that might be C++ today, I think the future is Rust for sure. Well, I know it's our future. It's been awesome. So is there anything you would change in terms of that decision or kind of how we executed that over the last three years? Anything I would change about using Rust? Rust or just how we implemented it? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. I think we've definitely had some extra challenges due to adopting Rust at the time we did. I, I think you wouldn't necessarily have some of those same challenges today. But just as an example... So one push is if you kind of get down to the basics, it's a system that sends a lot of HTTP requests really fast. And at the the time we started, the main library for doing this in Rust called Hyper, it just supported a synchronous API. And so your only real option at the time for sending concurrent requests was to spawn a whole bunch of threads. And so Hyper at the time was actually working on its first asynchronous backend so that would allow us to send a bunch of HTTP requests using a single thread, but it was never actually sort of merged into the master development branch. This was uh, based on this async library called Rotor, which has sort of been deprecated in, in favor of this newer library, Tokyo. But we ended up uh, <laughs> living on that branch for quite a while because we, you know, we couldn't support, you know, or we couldn't really get the performance numbers we wanted just spawning tons and tons of threads. Interesting. And did we have issues, uh, or not issues, but challenges finding people who had experience in Rust as well? Um, so we've had a lot of luck with hiring really good engineers who are interested in Rust, but we actually haven't hired any. Well, I, I take that back. We haven't hired very many people with like extensive Rust experience. I, we've had one come come in with a lot of Rust experience, but most of the team has actually uh, sort of learned it on the job. And it's actually great for onboarding new engineers too, with the, the compiler so rigorously checking everything. It helps to make sure that people are writing good code. Yeah, it forces them to be in like full learn mode right. versus like relying on <laughs> A lot on of the team has gone through the uh, experience of fighting with the borrow checker for the first time here at OneSignal. Nice. Okay, so that's great. So let's talk a little bit about the technical decisions that kind of got us to where we we are today, and specifically the, those growth points, right? So we covered the the delivery and specifically Rust. What were the other kind of growth points that required you know the team, specifically from an architecture backend standpoint, to make changes to to handle the scale? Well, so I think we can sort of look at the the historical things there, the historical decisions, things we're dealing with currently, and some of the things we're looking at for the future. Historically, the main things we've done are one, the delivery system, two, sharding out our database Postgres, 
which has been a little bit operationally heavy. And so that's one of the, the things we're kind of, one of the challenges we're working on currently is, is there sort of a scale out version of Postgres that we can continue to use and, and you know, scale the service and make our, our lives easier operationally as well? Or do we need to look at, you know, some other sort of database for some of like our subscriber data, like something like ScyllaDB, for instance? So the databases, you know, we've we've made some uh, decisions in the past that have helped us scale to where we are today, and I think there's some choices we're still trying to figure out for the future on that front. One of the other, uh, so one of the other pieces of technology we use is this database called Redis, which is all in memory. And so historically, we've sort of just managed that with having replicas and sort of a manual failover process in case of any sort of disaster. But as we're upping our operational game, we're actually in the process of rolling out Redis Enterprise with automatic failover and better high availability features than you know we were able to provide before. So that's pretty exciting. And we're actually rolling that out on top of Kubernetes, which is another technology we're bringing in to sort of improve our operational posture here. And then, so it leads me to the next question, which is probably a little bit kind of part and parcel of what you're just talking about. But how do we think about and how do you deploy kind of experimentation with these new technologies? Because we have a, a weekly all hands where we talk about this stuff and some of the back end engineers kind of under your direction or you specifically will get up and talk about, hey, we're spinning up this cluster around this and we're testing it and it's going to like reduce our, our load or our utilization. And, and it's all impressive. And, and somebody who's not an engineer, I'm like, I'm glad those guys are on my team. Um, but I'm curious as how you think about that, how we've tested those things and how do we actually get to the decision of deploy that technology, whether it be Kubernetes or even back in the day with Rust, but like specifically recently, how are we thinking about that? How do you approach it? Well, so with anything we're rolling out, you know, we want a, a change that's going to make our lives easier than it was before or make the system more robust than it was before. So with Kubernetes as an example, Prior to that, we've basically orchestrated all of our services on our servers using Ansible, which gets to be very difficult to maintain very quickly, especially as the number of services grows. This is a problem that Kubernetes solves very well. And a lot of the initial applications we're, we're putting on there are actually just Kafka consumers, which are actually rather easy to move on to Kubernetes. They don't have some of the ingress challenges that like uh, API services would, for example. On the, the database front, which I think is where things are a little bit more interesting and certainly more challenging, how do you sort of vet a new data store for your workload? And not just, you know, sort of like sandbox testing, but like how do you validate that to the point that you're confident of, you know, moving over all of your production traffic to a new system? And so one of the the main way we can achieve that sort of thing is actually because a lot of our database writes are actually going through Kafka and, and certainly all of the subscriber updates as far as like new push subscriptions, tag updates, that sort of thing, all get written out to Kafka. And so what we can do is we can actually spin up you know this new data store to basically taking a, creating a new consumer group on Kafka, so sort of starting to record all of the future updates and then doing an import from the existing data stores into that new system and then start consuming off of Kafka to get all those updates we missed. And then eventually we're back to real time. So now we have two databases running with all of the up-to-date production data and we can sort of start dark loading like testing some of the production queries on that. And then eventually, once you know everything has been nicely validated, you can actually start moving some production traffic over to there, starting with like reads, seeing that everything is performing well still, and 
yeah, eventually you can move everything over. But having sort of a transaction log external from the database itself that allows you to sort of load up these other data stores just by attaching another Kafka consumer is really helpful. Yeah. So it's parallel processing and batch, see that's working. And then ultimately, when it's validated what you're looking to do, you move everything over. That's right. Interesting. So lastly, um, as I know, I don't want to take up too much of your time here. It's busy, especially with Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Giving Tuesday. Oh, yeah, exciting days for us. Exciting days, yeah. Um, At least exciting days for our customers, uh, reliability, uh, big reliability days for us. What technologies or language are you considering to handle kind of next phase of growth? I mean, you touched on some of them there, but I yeah, mean, we we've touched on a few of them. Uh, so to get very concrete, we're evaluating like a few different scale out database solutions. We're looking at Citus DB because it's sort of a drop in replacement for Postgres, which is what we're using for all of the push data today. We are. I mentioned we're we're bringing in Kubernetes, Redis Enterprise, those sorts of things. A, a lot of what we're looking at right now is, is basically how do we take the remaining hard to scale parts of our system and make them linearly scalable. And so, yeah, on the database side, like Citus might be an option, but we're also looking at all the options are on the table at this point. So we're looking at like Vitesse, which is sort of scale out MySQL. It's actually MySQL under the hood at the end of the day, but they have some various software to make it scale out. Um, ScyllaDB, which is sort of Cassandra rewrite in C++ and a lot more performant. They've done a really cool benchmark on our infrastructure host actually packet where they're able to fetch a billion rows per second. And so, you know, we're delivering 5 billion notifications a day and if we can, you know, get to 5 billion per second like <laughs> that's that's, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, that's the uh, goal. So, yeah, uh, there's some interesting research to be done there and we've kind of Touched on how we'll be performing some of those experiments, and you know, hopefully, we'll find something that satisfies all of our desires. What's the thing that uh, I'll leave you with? This or ask one last question. What's the thing that kind of gets you most excited every day coming to work at OneSignal? Honestly, it's it's <laughs> it's hard to pick one thing. Um, it's really fun to come work with our team, who's all very excited at solving these difficult technical challenges and supporting our customers the best we can. One of the things that really struck me the other day is when we were sort of talking about a pager duty incident that didn't really like impact it didn't have a, a broad impact at all but uh, one of the engineers brought up that you know sort of every time they get paged they sort of feel like they're letting down the customers and so it's really I think it's really exciting to be working with a team that cares so deeply about like the success of our customers but also solving really interesting technical problems together and you know, working as a team to make our customers and ourselves successful. Yeah, I, I'm not going to get teary-eyed, but I, I do feel like one of the things that's really interesting about this company is there's a lot of collaboration and a sense of like ownership across functions. People are very collaborative, and it's rare. Somebody's worked in a lot of different startups and large companies. You get very siloed, especially as you scale. So, um, and the team's been outstanding, and you've been a huge contributor to that in terms of bringing in great technical talent. So. I really appreciate you uh, joining us, Joe. Hopefully you'll have more of these in the future. Certainly. it's Well, it's been fun, and thank you for having me. Yeah, um, and so thank you guys for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe at your local directory, Spotify, Apple, Google, TuneIn, you name it. Thank you. Have a great day.